Could you turn back with me tonight to Joshua chapter 2 and to the story that we have of Rahab? There's not much else said about her in the Bible. There's a couple of references to her in other places, which I'll mention uh, later on. Um, But this is the main story that we have of Rahab. And the title to uh, this series is Better Examples. So I've taken women from the Bible, women of faith from the Bible, uh, who God has included in Holy Scripture to look at as examples for our own uh, life of faith. And women have very many pivotal roles uh, in the Bible and at various stages. Uh, they uh, play hugely significant roles within the Scripture story. And women play a great and significant and important part in the church. And I pay tribute to the women of St. Columbus and the foundational and core and central work that they do in the life of this congregation. This congregation would collapse without the work of the women uh, who do so much within the church. And we recognize that God has given different roles to men and women generally in life and within the church, and there is much mystery behind that. They don't have the role of formal spiritual leadership within the church. But men are to be Christ-like in their role of leadership, to be servant leaders, to value and to use and to delegate to those who know more than them uh, the work and the witness of the church, and to learn from one another, to recognize uh, the specific gifts and talents and usefulness of women in their lives and in their compassion and in their vision and their clarity and their common sense. All these things that we recognize as being so important in the church and we are grateful. And I am really grateful for the women uh, in this church and for the huge amount of work that they do for Christ and for his kingdom. But I'd like this evening to look at Rahab and uh, learn the lessons that we can uh, take from this interesting story, an interesting character that she is. Sometimes there's bits of the Old Testament that are a challenge to us, and this is in some ways no lesser one. It's so outside of our kind of understanding, the situation, the uh, everything about it is just not common to us. But nonetheless, we can, we recognize scriptures written into situations, written into people's lives, into different cultures, as we saw this morning. And at different times, and God was still revealing himself to us. And what I want to do is just take one or two general lessons from uh, this story, and then one or two specific lessons from the example of Rahab uh, for us this evening. I hope that that will be something that we can learn from. I'm going to use one or two uh, different Bible verses, which I hope the the team will be ready just to flick on when I I ask for that this morning, uh, this evening, sorry. And the first lesson I want to take from this passage, and these are just general lessons. They are lessons you could take yourself and learn from, but we just reiterate them. And uh, the first is, be careful how you judge people, okay? Be careful how you judge people in the church and in life in general. Can we have the first uh, text up, Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 2? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, that's uh, I've got longer verses up than that, and I wouldn't be able to see them on that screen, so I may have to turn around and look at them on this screen uh, because I'm needing a new pair of contact lenses. 
and I don't know what's happened to them. Either my eyesight has gone much worse, or the lenses uh, are past their sell-by date. But uh, that verse is from the New Testament, but it can apply to our understanding of uh, this story as well. Because uh, Rahab here, she's a shady lady. Uh, Let's not have any doubt about that. Um, She is from a pagan people. She's not part of the people of God. And she's a lady of the night. She's a prostitute. She was probably an innkeeper. It seemed to be that uh, in a lot of these cities, the inn uh, would also be the house of prostitution, and the innkeeper would also uh, sell her body for favors. And that is what she was. And we might ask, when we see that background, is that the raw material for a heroine of the faith? Well, God sees fit to recognize her as such. She's used here in a very practical way to save the spies that have gone from the people of Israel to spy out the land which God has promised them as an inheritance. She saves their lives. She tells them about the state, the mental state of the people as the Israelites are coming. She's included along with a couple of other shady ladies in the genealogy of Jesus Christ and the line of Jesus Christ that we're given in Matthew. And she's the only lady that's given uh, some sentences in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, that great roll call of faith. So the Bible sees fit to give her a significant place and to recognize her as someone who has come to a genuine faith. And uh, her background is no barrier to that. And it mustn't be a barrier. And we mustn't judge people. We have to be very careful about how we judge people. Be careful how you judge someone who comes to sit beside you in church. Be careful what you think about them. Be careful before you make judgments about them because you can't see their hearts and I can't see their hearts. Or we might be able to smell them and we might be able to know a little bit about their background, but we can't see their hearts, so don't judge them. Don't judge people that we see in the street. Don't judge people that we hear about in the newspapers. Don't judge people. And specifically, don't judge people as people of grace ourselves because grace is the great leveler and grace is what reminds us where we've come from and what we've been saved to. And grace is a reminder of our own hearts that God sees us and sees all the ugliness and the brutality and the ugliness of our hearts and still loves us and redeems us and will forgive us as we cry out to him. Please remember that. Don't uh, be quick to judge people. Be very careful to judge people's motives, to judge people's hearts. It's very easy in the church to do that. We're very quick to take sides. We're very quick sometimes to, to go into camps. Don't judge people quickly. But this is a related point also. Uh, don't be a snob. Uh, the second verse, please, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Not many of you, this is where Paul's speaking about this, the foundation of the church. Again, very important for us. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now, that could be about the innkeeper, Rahab. Could be about the prostitute, couldn't it? 
that that's who God has chosen. And we'll find very often in Scripture that these great words are words that remind us of the radical nature of the gospel and of the radical nature of God's way, because he is a revolutionary and he doesn't dance to our tune. And he'll not fill the church with people that we think he should fill the church with. He'll not fill the kingdom with people that we think he should fill the kingdom with. He's going to fill the kingdom with sinners saved by grace who recognize that. And if you're hoping people will come into the church who are nice and balanced and correct and good and proper and upright and socially acceptable, then that will not be the case. We'll have an empty church because very often these kind of people don't need a Savior or don't feel they need a Savior. And we need to not be snobbish about that. Sometimes in the church we've seemed to focus on the intellectually uh, elite or the socially or the culturally elite. That shouldn't be the case. We should be open and we should be Christ-like and we should be somehow reaching out to those who are in the gutters because that's who Christ reached out to. That's who, not exclusively. He's not saying that others don't need redemption, but we mustn't be snobbish in our understanding. And Rehab is a great reminder to us of that. Grace, again, exposes snobbery, doesn't it? And legalism embraces it. Legalism embraces snobbery. Embraces people who do the right thing outwardly, who uh, act in the right way, who are upright and nice and good and moral. Legalism embraces snobbery. Grace is a great leveler and exposes it. Let us remember that God uses not great talent, but great likeness to Him, great godliness, and that will often come from those who recognize their great need and who have come to a living faith through Jesus Christ. So that's the second uh, general point I'd like to make. The third point, general point I'd like to make, and you might not have even picked up on this, I don't know. Uh, Sometimes ministers bring up points that people haven't even thought of and isn't an issue with them. This is an issue for some people, and it's an issue for some people who like to wrestle with things in Scripture. And it is, can I tell you, not missing the point of the story. Don't miss the point of the story. Don't miss the point of this story. Now, some people are tempted to miss the point of the story because they get all hung up on the fact that Rahab lied. Now, did Leah, what did Rahab do? She lied to the Jericho police to tell them that... Um, uh, the spies had gone. And now and then people get all hung up about, well, okay, was, is it right to lie? Can you have a white lie or is it wrong to lie? Was she right or wrong? Was it a good or a bad thing? Uh, would she be condemned for that or, or is it okay so to do? Please don't get hung up on this debate because it misses the point. I was reading a commentary about this Dale Ralph Davis and he said it's a bit like a, a wife who spent a whole day in the house uh, preparing a beautiful banquet for the guests, the dinner guests are having that evening. She's got it all in the fridge already and her husband comes home. She takes them over to the fridge and opens the fridge and says, look at, look, look at the work I've done and everything that is ready for tonight. And he just says, well, the top of the fridge is a bit dusty. It could do with being cleaned. She's missed the point, hasn't he? He's missed the whole point of what she's done and what she's been doing and what she's been involved in. He's looking somewhere else, in the wrong place. And so I think if we're looking at trying to find some kind of theological discussion about her lying here, we're missing the point. Very often in the Scripture, Scripture just records what happened. It doesn't make a judgment on whether it's right or wrong 
sometimes we don't need to make that judgment. Um, the New Testament doesn't make the judgment. It just says about Rahab, she was a woman of faith. That's all it says. It doesn't make the judgment. If we can say anything about it, maybe we can say she was engaged in the lesser of two evils. Because if she hadn't said what she had said, then they would have been killed. But anyway, let's move on from that. Let's look at one or two lessons from Rahab's faith itself and how we can take these and apply them in our own life of faith, even though our lives are very different and uh, situations and timing uh, scripturally is very different. She grasped, the first lesson I want to share with you is that she grasped the truth about God. In verses 8 to 13, you have this uh, great recognition of who God is and she speaks about who God is. You know, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and I know that he's taken you through the Red Sea, and I know that the Lord is, your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And then she says, because uh, of these things, I need his mercy, and I'm asking you for his mercy. So she has grasped some very important truths about God, even though she knew very little, and she wasn't given very much in her life. Um, She knew that he was an awesome God, that he was to be feared, to be reverenced. He was a powerful and sovereign God. She knew he was the only God, that he was this great God of the universe. But she also was aware of his mercy, of his being a redeeming God, of his being a God who loved people and who took his own people out of slavery and uh, into the promised land. And she was throwing herself upon this God. So she, she grasped the truth about God. That's pretty good insight, isn't it? That's pretty good insight for the lack of real biblical knowledge that she'd been given. She'd grasped that he was a great God, that he judged sin, but he was also merciful, and uh, she could put her trust in him. Now, we're sitting here this evening comfortably, go through another Sunday, We've got the Bible. We've got the finished Bible. We've got the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I wonder if we see as clearly as she did. Do we recognize this awesome God? Do we believe in an awesome, glorious God, a God who judges sin, but also a God who is great in mercy? Or do we simply love the soft mercy story and have let his greatness go as we live our lives? She grasped the truth about God. But she also acted, didn't she? She acted on her convictions. Uh, She was the one who uh, knew about this God. She recognized this God was to be feared and not to be messed with, and yet who could save her. And so she acted on that by doing what she did, by hiding the men, by telling a lie on their behalf, by letting them down the window, and uh, by asking that they come back and redeem her and her family when they came back. Now, that was really risky, but she acted in her convictions. And it's great. It's a great story. She didn't have much knowledge, but she acted on that knowledge, and that's a great thing. We know a lot today, don't we? We've got innumerable numbers of books and internet access to biblical stuff and to stuff about God, and uh, we know about his character, and uh, we have great theological insight, and we have the 
finished word of God and all these things. But does it in the same way inspire obedience? Her knowledge, little though it was, inspired this act of obedience on God's behalf. And we are asked to take our knowledge out of our heads. And we are to take that knowledge and let it seep into our hearts. And then from our hearts into our hands and into our eyes and into our feet and uh, into our mouth so that we take the knowledge and it transforms what we are into obedient people. She acted on her convictions and it's a great thing to act on our convictions, what we know about God. Now, some pe- one or two people misunderstood what I said on Wednesday night when we were talking about um, the church and the, the, what we were uh, looked at from the update in the church and the, the kind of ethos we have as a church. And I mentioned, because I've mentioned before that we are more about a being church than a doing church. And what I meant by that is that we are a people who know God in Christ, that we are in a relationship with Him, that it's not just a religious ritual. We come along to on Sunday and we go away and we live our lives and then we come back the next Sunday and occasionally we'll read the Bible and once in a while we'll pray and we'll do lots of things for the church. What I'm saying is that we're a being people because we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ and we're in a relationship with one another and from that knowledge and prayer and life stems our activity and stems our obedience and stems what we do. I don't want us to be so busy with being church or doing church, doing churchy things that you're five, six nights out a week doing church kind of things and having no time to be and to live in a relationship with Christ and to live in a relationship with other people to share Christ with them and to develop relationships. That's really what I meant. And that's what is behind this conviction of this woman Rahab. Her convictions uh, triggered her obedience. And so our convictions should trigger our lives and our obedience to Jesus Christ. Faith without works is dead. James 2.25, that's the next verses for the screens. Remember that uh, verse. It's a well-known verse in Scripture, and it might or it might not come up, so I'll just keep talking until... Maybe it does come up. Uh, if the team have fallen asleep up there, they may have done, or can it not come up? Oh, forget it. I've run out of things to say. Um, James chapter 2 tells us that faith without works is dead. Okay? Remember that. Remember. What? Oh, that is... Oh, I'm really sorry. I see, I can't see it. I'm busy there thinking that's a really, I thought it was faith that works is dead. I'm sorry. Sorry, Jessica. Well, it is faith without works is dead, but there's a bit about Rahab before it. See that? In the same way, Rahab, not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off. She was considered righteous for what she did. For what she did for what she did, for her obedience that was based on her convictions. Faith without works is dead. And that's what I meant by being a being Christian. It's your being. You're in that relationship with Jesus Christ. And as such, you will then put that into practice in your life. Okay, that's the second lesson is that she uh, uh, acted on her convictions. And the third lesson, I guess it's related to this, 
is that she showed bravery. She showed great bravery uh, because she acted in such a way that put her, her life at risk. Okay, we, we don't have the same problem today. Our lives aren't at risk when we obey the Lord God. You know, it's soft and easy for us in many ways to be Christians, but it's difficult in other ways. She was going against the city that she lived in and the people she belonged to. Now, can I say something very, very interesting here? Well, I think it's very interesting. Everyone was afraid of God in that city. Rahab's wasn't unique. Everyone knew about God in that city and indeed that country. She says that herself. God was the talk of the town in this place. Everyone knew what was happening. Everyone knew that God's people were coming and there was a great fear and dread fell upon the people. So they were all afraid. But the question is, who were they more afraid of? So, the rest of the people were more afraid of their reputation, of their friendships, of the city they lived in, of their nationality, and of, of going against what was genuinely or generally believed. Rahab was more afraid of God. A, a fear that led to reverence, to worship. And that is at the very core of bravery, spiritual bravery. So that when you don't stand up for Jesus Christ in your life tomorrow, you ask the question, well, who am I afraid of? And it's always that you're more afraid of people than you are of God. You're more afraid of your reputation. You're more afraid of, being pop of not being popular. You're more afraid of being ridiculed than you are of reverencing the God who is God. And that's a really helpful thing for us to consider. And it's something we all battle with, if we're honest. Fear of man. Fear of being rejected. Easier to, to not be afraid of God because we can't see him. And as far as we can tell, he's, he's not going to put a bolt of lightning down if we don't stand up for him, even though we recognize it as being wrong. And the Bible is full of these things, these encouragements not to be afraid. Now, I believe you'll be afraid because I'm afraid all the time. I'm afraid of not being popular, afraid of not being accepted, afraid of being ridiculed, afraid of not being able to answer people's questions, afraid of their arguments, afraid of failure, afraid of all of these things. But if we reverence God, then we are able to go to him to take away our fear. Can I have some of the next verses up, uh, please? And I'll not give you a hard time. Say, be strong. Even in Joshua here, you know, he was telling his own people, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you uh, wherever you go. So God says, don't be afraid because I'm going to be with you. Can I have a new, the next one? Which is, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. You know what that, where, the story I think it's the story of the storm and Jesus walking in the water. You know, take courage. Don't be afraid. It is I. And the other one, is there another one? From 1 Corinthians 16. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. These are really strong, divine promises and encouragements to show bravery in our lives. And when we're... It's, it's not... Don't be afraid of being afraid. There's nothing wrong with fear. We're all afraid, but it's what we do with that fear, and it's taking it to God and asking God 
to give us the courage that he promises he will give his people. And that he gave to Rahab to take this amazing step that was counterculture, counter everything, that went against everyone else and yet had such great influence. And that brings me to the last point that I want to make, which is that her act of faith, her life of faith as it was to become, affected the lives of other people for good. If you look at chapter 6, when uh, the Israelites eventually come into Jericho uh, to destroy it and to take it over, 6 verse 25, we're told, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she had the men of Joshua. She had the men Joshua had sent as spies to her, and she lived among, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. So her act of faith and her, her, her choice of faith and the fact that God opened her heart and that she responded to that uh, affected the lives of her friends and family, those around her, those that she had influence over, those that she loved. Wasn't it interesting that she, she didn't just think of herself? It would have been a very family-oriented society. But she asks, she asks the, the spy, she says, you know, look after my family, my father, my mother and brothers and sisters, and all belong to them, all who belong to them. So she had a wide circle of influence for good because of what she did. They were saved. We don't know if they became believers. I presume they probably did, but she lived among the Israelites as part of the people of God the rest of her life. And the New Testament in Hebrews uh, reminds us of her faith. It accords to her the, the great uh, reality of being a woman of faith recorded in the roll call of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. You live by faith and not by sight. So she affected people's lives for good. She was a pagan and she was a prostitute. She was possibly an innkeeper. She wasn't high and mighty and intelligent. Intellectually, she may have been intelligent, but she, she wasn't kind of regarded as an intellect and regarded as someone uh, of great significance or moral standing. But God used her greatly. And God uses people of faith, not people of gifts. And it's important to remind ourselves of that. And it's also important to remind ourselves of the need for courage. Because when we're taking courageous steps as Christians, it will affect other people for good. When we fall back in fear, and when we're silent, or when we don't rely on the Spirit, and when we're going our own way, then it's, there can be untold consequences for bad for the people that were influenced by us who don't see the God that promises and who don't see the faith that He gives and who don't see His grace that transforms our lives. So you have a circle of influence. I don't know how big it is. I don't know how big your circle of influence is. I don't know how many people that you influence for good or influence potentially for good or for ill. But you're not an island, and I'm not an island. And our lives, our responsive faith, affects the people round about us, whether it's in school or whether it's in university, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your homes or in your neighborhood or wherever it is. Christ wants us, not by human standards, but he wants us in his strength to be influential and if Rahab, the pagan prostitute, can be in her day and generation, why can't we be? 
with what we have. He has gifted us so much. We are joint heirs, as we saw this morning, with Jesus Christ. We are part of his kingdom. And as we act in obedience and act with courage on what we know and what we've been given and rely on his spirit and his grace in our hearts, we can make a great difference spiritually for good. And you need to do that here. You need not to rely on other people to make the difference. You need to make the difference. You're the ones with a, a circle of influence that's significant and importance, and important. You're the ones who can share Jesus Christ on a day-to-day basis. You're the ones who need to be being. And when you're being uh, on the basis of what you know and what you've experienced of Jesus, and you obey him and you're courageous, then he will bless and affect the lives of others for good. Wouldn't it be terrible to get to the end of our lives and have a roll call of people who have been negatively affected by our life, by our... Maybe people who come up to us at the end of our lives and say, oh, I didn't, that's amazing, I didn't even know you were a Christian. And I've known you for 40 years. So you never told me about Jesus Christ. You never once mentioned how significant he was. We've been friends for all these years. And you said you loved me, but you never once told me that I would meet him one day and that I would never get into a relationship with him without him taking my sins. And I'm now outside of him eternally. It's so significant who we rub shoulders with because as God is the one who is sovereign over all these things, he's put you into these places and he wants you to share the great good news of the gospel. So may the life of Rahab, a pagan prostitute, the shady lady who's in the roll call of faith, may she be the one who inspires us by his spirit to live a better, a more courageous, and a bolder Christian life. Uh, we'll pray. Let's pray. Lord God, help us, we pray. We thank you for Rahab. We thank you for her life. We thank you for her witness. We thank you for her faith. And uh, we thank you that you've chosen to record her in Scripture, uh, much uh, against uh, what maybe some people would think uh, would be an acceptable uh, witness or uh, uh, example uh, to others. Role model, maybe. But Lord, we thank you that she's a perfect role model. Perfect. And may we be those who recognize that in our own lives as we admit and see our own sin and our own need and yet see the great and glorious redemption and forgiveness that God offers us through Jesus. And by his grace, may we be transformed, transforming and uh, transformational in our lives. So help us in these things, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.